morning when I rise will give me Jesus give me Jesus all this world
Let's sing that part again. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever, ever true. Change my heart, oh God. Will may I be like you? You are the potter. that one more time. Change my heart, oh God. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. Where may I be like you? You are the modern
time I'm so thankful there's somewhere I can cast my cares. Amen. A lot of times you wonder, what am I going to do? Things are tough, and uh, the people you may work with or interact with, uh, anxiety is an all-time high, but I'm thankful there's somewhere when I'm scared and I don't know what to do. Amen. I can cast my cares somewhere. Amen. Welcome you to the service. Uh, We're going to open the service in a word of prayer and ask... uh, Brother Jonathan Mayo, if he'll uh, come and open the service in a word of prayer. Um, we want to uh, remember the Whitlocks that are away uh, working. Uh, Britons are away this morning. Brother Aaron Ningamanza's in Virginia uh, preaching this morning, so we want to remember him. We want to remember uh, Sister Sarah Buchanan, uh, who's not feeling well. We want to remember Brother Shepherd, who's not doing well as well. I want to continue to remember Brother Fulcher uh, in prayer. He's had a rough couple weeks, so we want to remember him in prayer. I want to remember our uh, dear sister Faye, who um, is in the ER this morning. Um, she had some chest pains and high blood pressure. Um, her EKG came back uh, normal, but they still don't know what was causing the pain, so we just want to remember her in prayer. If you have any unspoken prayer requests, just want to make it known. Brother Jonathan. Alright, let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you this morning that we can come to you acknowledging our imperfectness, but thanking you for the blood of Jesus Christ that uh, cleanses us from all sin. We thank you for that. We come according to your ordinance to congregate together. Lord, and as we congregate together, we ask you bless each one here. Um, may our hearts be open and may we receive your word. It's a perfect word. It takes care of all, all our faults, all our failures, all our ailments, Lord. And there are many requests this morning, Lord. Uh, many that are sick, many that are traveling many that couldn't make it because of work and no doubt they want to be here and have a desire in the heart to congregate together with believers of like precious faith lord it's encouraging to be here and to join our looks of fire together lord and wait in anticipation for the word to come and speak to our hearts so that we we may grow in you lord we pray this morning that as brother barry comes out to bring the word You give him the confidence and benediction he needs to deliver the message to us, that we have an open heart and that we grow from it, Lord. 
Lord, we thank you so much for all you do for us, Lord. You're perfect in all your ways. We acknowledge you, Lord. We, we thank you for also um, being with Sister Faye in the emergency department now and the reassurance that her EKG was normal, Lord. Pray you continue to be with her, give her healing touch she needs, and many of the other sick requests that were mentioned, Lord. Lord, and um, now as we commit the remainder of the service to you, may you receive our praise, may you receive our worship. Thank you for the wonderful spirit that's already here and that you come visit us, Lord, in spite of, you know, who we are and how you saw us where we were and you picked us up and you uh, called us your own, uh, your own, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Now, um, we just want to tell you we love you. We thank you. We commit the balance of the service in your hands and we give you praise. We thank you for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Turn and shake hands with those that are around you. Welcome them to the service. And uh, you may have your seats. Sing, uh, come and dine. Come and dine. I'm thankful, uh, like Brother Jonathan was praying there, of uh, that it's a blessing and it's an honor to be able to get to be with family. Amen. Um, I always like it when you go for Thanksgiving, you get to be with all your family. It's sort of what we get to do every week, amen? We get to come with our family, and we sit and we come and dine, amen? Well, Jesus has a table spread where the saints of God are fed. He invites his chosen people to come and dine. With his manna, he does meet and does supplies our every need. Oh, it is sweet to sup with Jesus all the time. So come and dine, come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitude turned the water into wine. To the hungry call it now, come and dine. The disciples came to land. Thus obeying Christ's command, for the Master called to them, come and dine. There they found their heart's desire, bread and fish upon the fire. Thus he satisfies the hungry every time, amen. So come and dine, come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. water into wine to the hungry call it now come and die soon the lamb will take his bride to be ever at his side all the hosts of heaven will symbol be oh it will be a glorious sight amen all the saints in spotless white and with jesus we will peace eternally so come and die, come and die. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitude, water in. 
and died. I like this verse. Let's sing it again. Soon the Lamb will take His bride to be ever at His side. All the hosts of heaven will symbol be. Looking forward to that? Oh, it will be a glorious sight. All the saints in spotless white. And with Jesus we will feast eternally. Oh, come and die. Come and die. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitude turned the water into wine. To the hungry call it now. Come and dine one more time. So come and die. Come and die. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitude turned the water into wine. To the hungry call it now. Come and die. Amen. Let's sing uh, I'll Fly Away. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll, I'll fly away. A home on God's celestial shore, I'll fly away. This life has grown out. I'll fly away like a bird from prison bars at I'll fly away. Let's stand. Oh, I'll fly away. Oh, glory. I'll fly away. I'll not die. Hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Now just a few more, amen, weary days and then, will I'll fly away to a land where joy shall never end. I'll fly away. By and by, I'll fly away. Oh, I'll fly away. Oh, glory. I'll fly away. I'll not die. Hallelujah. By and by, I'll fly away. Let's give him a praise. Amen. Amen. Going to ask the ushers to come at this time. I'm looking forward to flying away. Amen. Some days more than others, but I'm definitely looking forward to that. 
Amen. Brother Jeff, if you could ask a blessing on the offering. Amen. Um, while the ushers are taking up the offering, I have one quick announcement here. Please pass that along to those that aren't here. We've got quite a few missing this morning. Um, lost and found. We have a lost and found box in uh, the library. Please make sure and go through that or it will be lost forever. Sister Doris is going to be uh, donating. So whatever's left in there. So if you're missing anything or the kids have left a toy or anything like that, please make sure and uh, take a look at there. Um, let's sing uh, We Need You, Lord. Do you need him this morning? Amen. Uh, I don't know how your week was, but uh, my week was busy, and uh, I need him. I need him. Sometimes, uh, you know, things can be rough, whether it's at work or at home. It might even be emotionally going on with you. Maybe it's physical or financial, but it can be tough. And sometimes when we come in, our mind still is thinking about all that stuff that's going on. Let's just take a few minutes here. We're going to sing. Brother Barry's going to come out. Let's just let that go for a little while, right? And let's just turn ourselves over to him mentally spiritually. Amen. Let's just open ourselves. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. Right now. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. Right our hands and bow our knees and worship at your throne we need you Lord yes we need you Lord right now I need you Lord I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord, right now. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord, right now. my hands oh and I bow my knees and I worship at your throne cause I need you Lord yes I need you Lord right now we need you Lord We need you, Lord. 
hands Bow our knees And worship at your throne We need you, Lord Yes, we need you, Lord Right now Let's sing it one more time Before we do, I just wanted to update you on a few things here before we uh, look to the Lord in prayer this morning. I just heard from Brother Mark Sylvester. They're away uh, today, and so we want to remember them in prayer. Uh, <clears throat> I had a note from Sister Simona Walters today, and Lucas has been struggling with uh, some stomach issues and intestinal issues now for a while. And it's kind of gotten worse, and uh, the doctors are investigating, they're probing. We'd ask you just to remember him in prayer. It's been uh, kind of rough over the last few days. Um, <clears throat> we also, too, I, I wanted to make a formal mention of Brother Mike Pritchard's mother, uh, elderly, and uh, she's in the hospital today. Some of the family is not here. They're uh, helping out and attending with her, but... Uh, Brother Mike, we know what it's like to go through that season where you're looking after uh, elderly parents, and so we want you to know that we'll be praying with you and, uh, you know, uh, standing with you as you care for your uh, mom and uh, do all that you're doing for her, and that's a commendable thing. That's the right thing. That's what families should do. <clears throat> I put out a, a little note um, as well on the weekend, or uh, I think it was yesterday, there's a particular church in uh, Ukraine, and uh, they're Armenian in origin. And uh, I was uh, the pastor's name is Brother Manets, and uh, very fine fellow. They're a bunch of farmers, and uh, just have a little assembly there. But they have been going through a really rough time. And um, I actually showed you a picture of their church a little uh, several months back. And uh, in the church, a lot of the men are not a able to work. Their, their jobs have kind of dried up because of the war. And uh, as a result of that, uh, they're, they're in a pretty destitute situation over there. One of the families, which has eight children, the mother just passed away. She had breast cancer, and she just passed away. And uh, that uh, father, who doesn't have a job, uh, is left with the eight children uh, to look after them. 
and uh, that's that's just a couple of the stories in that church. But uh, we sent them over some funds this week. But uh, I, I, I assured them. I sent a note over to the Brother Manats, and I assured them that we'd certainly be praying for him today and hold him up uh, before the Lord because uh, their situation is not like anything you can imagine. I will guarantee you. I've been there many times, and I still can't imagine how difficult it must be for the people over there heading into a winter now with war again. Uh, for the second year and just the struggles that they face it's really uh, really amazing so uh, if you don't mind we'd ask you to remember uh, that that group in prayer it's just about 30 35 people I think in that church there so I, I would encourage you to do that we have a couple of serious unspoken requests here today and uh, we'd ask you just to hold those upon your heart as well. Let's sing it one more time. We need you, Lord, and, and then we'll uh, look to him in prayer this morning. And whatever need that you have, whatever loved one you have, whatever circumstance you're facing today, there's no better place you could bring that than right here, right now. We need you, Lord. We need yes, you, we need you, Lord. Right now. Just make it your prayer now. We need you, Lord. Oh, yes, Lord Jesus. We need you, Lord. Bind our needs together. Right now. Yes, Lord. We submit ourselves to you, Lord. We lift our hands. We lift our hands to you, Lord. Bow our knees. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And worship Thank you, Lord Jesus. For we, we need, need you, Lord. Lord. Yes, yes, we, we need, need you, Lord. Right, right now. Heavenly Father, as we bow in your presence this morning, our hearts, Lord, are in tune with you, and we we just sense your presence among us, Lord, already. And we we know, Lord Jesus, that takes two things. That takes the expectation of the people, Lord, and the desire of the people in their hearts, the things that they have need of, Lord, and how they long for your presence. But Lord, it also speaks of your nearness, and it's just an amazing thing how the creator of heavens and earth can draw near to a people like us in a simple little building, in a, just a, a simple little place, and Lord, we're just so honored that you would think about us and come our way. Now, Lord, move among us, I pray. And Lord, you know the, the, the needs, you know the, the burdens we carry, you know the, uh, the trials we're going through. And Father, I just commit each one now into your hands, Lord. I can't help, Lord, but think of the, uh, Brother Manatsa's group over in Ukraine, Lord, and how the believers in Ukraine have suffered not through anything that they've done, Lord. These are innocent people who are caught in the crossfire of two nations, Lord, who are at war. And that's the work of Satan himself. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would move on behalf of that assembly. And Lord, bring comfort to those that have suffered loss. Lord, I pray you'd be their provider. I pray you'd be their protector. I pray, dear God, you would uh, in every way comfort them, Lord, and, and walk with them through these dark days that they're facing. Lord, I pray now that you would bless this service and all we do and all we, uh, we speak about, Lord, may you just take the words and quicken them to our hearts. 
We love you. Forgive us of anything that may be contrary to the moving of the Holy Spirit. And take complete control for your glory, we pray. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated, or sorry, while you're standing, let's, let's have you read, your, read the word if you don't mind. And uh, musicians, we'll let you take your place there. We're going to go to the book of Proverbs in chapter 27. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 27, we'll begin there. We'll begin there without a PowerPoint this morning. So we're going to do it the old-fashioned way. Normally, when we have our communion service, which we're going to have tonight at 5, we do not do any kind of preaching or sermon uh, during that time. We just dedicate that time to communion, all right? And that's how we normally do it. We don't stream it. It's just us, and we're going to change the way we do communion. We're not going to do it in those little groups anymore. We're going to change the way we do it. Uh, so it'll be a little more streamlined, uh, kind of like how we do the giving out the bread and so forth uh, in a little more um, organized way or a little orderly way. Church is growing, so it's a little bit difficult for us to continue to do it in the old way. So we're going to give you a little instruction about that tonight. So we're not going to meet with the people who haven't taken communion after church today. I'll instruct you tonight when we come together. So we're not going to have a sermon tonight. We just do our communion part, right? That's how we normally do it. So today, uh, I just felt on my heart, I wanted to talk a little bit uh, about what I would probably speak about if, if I was, was going to preach before a communion service, all right? So this is that sermon, Move to the Morning, and uh, we'll, we'll just take a simple thought this morning and uh, trust it'll be a blessing to you. So Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 7. The full soul, someone who's very satisfied, loatheth and honeycomb. But to the hungry, but to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Revival often begins with the hungry because they realize they're in need. But someone who's full, they don't need even. Even a honeycomb doesn't taste good because they're full. But to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. May God add his blessing. You may be seated this morning. <clears throat> just before we start, I wanted to just make a quick apology to the Financial Peace Group. Um, we've... We're, because of just so many things that are taking place here, we've interrupted the flow of the Sunday nights because we're just trying to get everything in here. But we're going to try to make that up and uh, make it up in a way that uh, fits the schedule a little bit better. So just hang tight and uh, we'll be in touch with you uh, about the remainder of the meetings there. Um, <clears throat> because I was away last week there, we get out of sync with some of the 
with some of the birthdays, but I just wanted to go very quickly through this list here because it'd be a shame if somebody had a birthday and I didn't mention it. September 5th was Karen Morlier's birthday, and Sister Karen is not here, right? She's at the, at the ER. September 7th uh, was Jason Ashdown's birthday, right, Brother Jason? And uh, Sister Mary Smith as well. And may God bless you. September 10th, uh, the Ivies had an anniversary. Isn't that right? How many years? 30 years. Wonderful. God bless you, Brother Billy. And it was also Sister Doris Reynolds' birthday, right? Sister Doris, God bless you. We are honored to have you with us. September 11th. Uh, I always hear from Brother Anwar. We always talk on September 11th, uh, and it was Anwar's birthday, but it was also the birthday of Mark Sylvester, and it's also the birthday of Sister Leah Mayo. God bless you all. September 12th is Annabelle right here, Sister Annabelle's birthday, and uh, may God bless you, but that's also Valerie Cross's birthday, right? Yeah, outside. First, First, wonderful. September 14th, been the best year of her life, she said. September 14th is Alethea's birthday, right? Where's Alethea? There she is. Alethea, how old are you? Twelve. You said that like I should know that. Is that the truth? Alethea is the Greek word for truth. So, whatever she says is true. September 23rd is Sister Cindy Walter's birthday. I don't think the Walters are here, and uh, that's coming up. And uh, may God bless all of you on your, uh, on your birthdays. It'd be a shame to miss the birthdays and the anniversaries. <clears throat> Let me start by telling you this morning that <clears throat> over my years of living. Um, I can't remember where I was just recently and somebody was talking about their birthday and they were 60, 65 years old. And as I I was in the conversation, I think it was a group of people when I was over in Holland and they were talking about this brother and he was 65 years old who was there with us. And then someone turned to me and they were, they were very curious, and they said, how old are you, Brother Barry? We have no idea how old you are. And I said, how old do you think I am? <laughs> Which I always ask people. And they thought for a while, and <clears throat> they, they pondered on that, and they worked at it a little bit, and they looked at me, and they... they kind of went back in their memory and because there's some people who there was a couple of ministers who were there who were older ministers who I've known for years and years and years were sitting there and retired and and uh, you know uh, quite elderly and and they knew that I had was associated with this elderly brother and they, so they were looking looking and finally they said 55 that's what they said why well, I embraced them all and gave them all a $20 bill <laughs> and went on from there. <clears throat> but I, I would like to say that over all of these years that, <clears throat> that I've lived, there are very, very few regrets that I, uh, that I have. There are some regrets that I have, but very few. One of the regrets I have was that there was a uh, friend of ours, my 
my cousin actually was married to a family. They were quite eccentric. They were uh, an unusual family, extremely wealthy, and, and they were uh, just quite a different family. But the, one of the sons in that family, who was older than me, he and his wife owned a sailboat. And the sailboat was probably 32 feet long. It was quite a large sailboat. And uh, they had plan- made plans to, to sail that boat from St. John's, Newfoundland, which is where I'm from, all the way to Ireland. And they were going to do that across the Atlantic. <clears throat> and in conversation with them, and they were describing their trip and what they were going to do, they, they kind of looked at me, and this was in my good-for-nothing years when I... Uh, when I really had, uh, the, the only plan was whatever happened that day. That was the only plan that I had. Whatever happened that day, that was the plan. And uh, they talked to me about going over and, and making that trip with them. And for some reason or another, it never happened. It never happened that I went. They went, but it, never, it happened uh, that I never went. And I, always, I all, have always thought about that. I've always remembered that conversation we had. And to me, it, it, uh, it, it escapes me. I mean, I just can't understand why that I didn't go, because that is something that I definitely would do. That's the kind of thing that I would do when I was young and foolish. And uh, uh, just, you know, wandering from here to there and here to there and whatever anybody offered or whatever, whatever was going, I would be right there and I would do it with them. But I never did. I regret that. But I have very few regrets. The thing about sailing, and I've done a little bit of sailing in my time. Stay with me. In, in, in my years of uh, working up north in Ontario and different places and living on the, on the coast like I did and growing up like I did, uh, sailing was not a foreign thing. Sailing was a thing that was kind of second nature to people who live on the coast. And it's an interesting thing when you talk about sailing because to a sailor, somebody, and and I'm not talking about somebody now who's in a big freighter or a motorboat. I'm talking about somebody who is operating by wind, somebody who's sailing under, uh, under sail, actual canvas sails, that when it comes to making any progress and it comes to getting somewhere, the best kind of wind that a person can have in a sailboat is a headwind. That's a wind that comes straight at your face. When you're, when you're pointing forward and you're standing on the bow of the boat, when the wind is coming straight at you, that's the best kind of wind for a sailor. You would think that the best wind that a, person, that a sailor could have is a wind behind you. And sometimes that's okay. If you're going in a straight line, sometimes that's okay. A lot of times a, a, a tailwind actually can be something that uh, is, is a, more of a distraction. It can, it can easily put you off course. But the very best kind of wind, you ask any sailor, is a headwind if you're in a sailing ship. And when a person who is trying to get from point A to point B, like from, from uh, Newfoundland to Ireland, the direction is set, and when the wind is coming straight at them, they can tack a little bit to the left and to the right and to the left and to the right, and they actually use that head-on wind to come against the sail and gain traction. And they can go quite fast, they can go quite far uh, if they have the right kind of headwind. You just need to know how to point your sails. You need to know how to lean into the wind a certain way. But you can make real progress when the wind is coming directly at you. 
Now that seems kind of a little bit of an oxymoron because we feel like, in our way of thinking, we feel like that having the wind behind us would be the best thing that could happen because then we have to use less energy in order to get from point A to point B. But I want you to think about this in a spiritual sense now, and that's the reason why I'm telling you this, that the Holy Spirit and the way that we operate in life, he doesn't get behind us and just blow us into the kingdom. He doesn't get behind us and just push us along the way so that we don't have to do anything. We just kind of stand there and let the Holy Spirit uh, puff us into the kingdom and we just cross the finish line and that's it. That's not the way the Christian life is, as you know. In the Christian life, we face many headwinds. Headwinds are things that are coming against you. And for the purpose of our talk this morning and our sermon this morning, and I'm going to keep this very simple because we're just really discussing what we would talk about in a communion service, but we often face headwinds in our life, and there are things that come directly at you seemingly, seemingly to be contrary to you, to be against you. You all know what headwinds feel like. You all know what headwinds act like when they come directly at you, when they're head on. And it seems like now the hardest thing that I can do is make progress. It would be easy to turn away and go with the momentum of the wind. But a Christian doesn't do that because we know what our destination is. What we have learned and what we're learning over time is how to lean into the wind in the right way And use the ship that we have, use the means at our disposal to be able to tack into the wind and be able to make it to our destination and actually make good progress despite the headwinds we face. All of us know about headwinds. All of us know about setbacks. All of us know what it feels like to have opposition. Let me give you some examples here just so we can establish this very simply. We are made to, as human beings, we're made to hunger and thirst for, uh, for things that we cannot see. We, we are people who are conditioned to live and walk by faith. So we know that there are things ahead of us, and even though we can't see it, they're as real to us as the things we can see. There are things that, in a sense, there are things that motivate us. There are things that drive us. And over time, we learn that if we're going to let if we're going to let just circumstances or if we're going to let people or we're going to let world events slow us down, we'd be stopped long ago. But there's a reason you're still going. There's a reason that some of you old timers here are still going and pressing towards the mark. And that's what the scripture tells us to do, to drop everything else and press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. And there's, there's a motivation that's within us that really is not a visible thing. It's an unseen force that enables us to face any headwind and make progress in the midst of it. That's kind of an unusual thing. But there are headwinds that we all face. And there's four that I want to talk about particularly this morning. And they are disappointment, loss, criticism, and betrayal. Let me say it again. Disappointment, loss, criticism, and betrayal. But if we think about headwinds, for instance, in a, in a bigger picture, like when Goliath came and resisted Israel, that was a headwind, right? A great big headwind. 
When Israel was trying to get from here to there, when they were trying to move from one place to another and Goliath stood in their way, that's an opposition that they faced. That's a headwind. When Moses is trying to bring the children of Israel from Egypt into the promised land and Korah and Dathan rose up and contested Moses and actually talked about trying to bring the people back to Egypt again. And they said, let's go back there to the familiar. Let's go back uh, to the way we worship. Let's go back to the familiar foods and the comforts we had. You know what that was? It was headwinds. And Moses didn't say, wow, the opposition is just too great. Let's just turn around, put our backs to the wind, and let's just sail back to Egypt and we'll go at a better time. Moses didn't do that. And God didn't tell Moses to give in to that. Moses just used the commission that he was under, and he used the power of God that God had given to him, and he moved right, right on forward in the face of that opposition. And you know what? They made it to the promised land. We think about, I mean, when you start thinking about this now, many times Saul of Tarsus would have been a headwind against the early church, wasn't he? He was a person who uh, did whatever he could to stop uh, the, the early church from making progress, from getting established, from spreading the gospel, even to the point of killing its members. Saul would be what we would refer to as a headwind. Everybody understanding what I'm saying this morning about a headwind? We all know what it means to face headwinds. Sometimes, you know, uh, you may be in the position where Today, you're in need of a miracle. I don't know all of your situations, and I know some about some of your situations. But you may be sitting here today saying, you know, the doctor can't help me, or the banker can't help me, or my boss can't help me, or my spouse can't help me. And Lord, I really need you to do something powerful on my behalf. And the devil will come and sit on your shoulder and say, those kinds of things don't happen today. That's a headwind. Right? When the devil will work on your mind, or we say, well, we need, we need to reach God. We need to contact God. And the devil will sit on the other shoulder and say, hey, but Brother Bram's gone. He was the one who had the communion with God. That's a headwind. There are a lot of headwinds that we face in our own minds. There are a lot of headwinds that we face because of the situations that we find ourselves just in life. Like the, I was thinking about the people in, in Ukraine and the believers that are scattered out and hunkered down and trying to exist from day to day uh, in, in, their, in their country here with nowhere really to turn, with nowhere really to, uh, to uh, you know, reach out for help. And you can imagine the mind battles that those people must be going through. And you imagine how they must learn to pray in situations like that and the headwinds that they face. But I will guarantee you that the people of Ukraine, the believers of Ukraine, are still pressing on. And when I hear from them, when I, when I, uh, I will tell you that the people in Brother Manatz's church that I was talking about earlier, they never wrote to me and told me that. Someone told me about that church. But they're not, they're not complaining. They're not saying, hey, we don't have this and we don't have that. Why don't the American people, uh, you know, help us out and Europeans help us out? They're not saying that. You know what? They're praying and looking to God. And I can tell you that they're very fervent about that. But somebody else let me know about that need, so we're going to do uh, what we can and uh, trust that God will use that to bless the people. But they're very fervent and a very sincere people, and I know that they're looking to God. You can imagine the headwinds that those people must be, uh, must be facing. But let me tell you something else about people who face headwinds. 
that your victory actually begins, and I'm preambling here for a minute, your victory, victory over the problems you face actually begins when you cease to be impressed with the size of the problem you're facing. You ever talk to somebody and you ask them how they're doing and they describe their problem and it's really big and they take a lot of time and energy to convince you how big and how difficult their problem actually is because they're very impressed with the size of the problem. They're overwhelmed by the size of the problem. And when you cease to be overwhelmed and impressed by the size of the problem and you're trusting that God's going to help you through this no matter what, you're not being guided by that circumstance. You're being guided by the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what God wants. When you cease to be impressed by the size of your problem, that's the beginning of victory in your life. That's the sound of victory in your life. Because when people become so enamored and they're so wrapped up in the problem and they're so impressed by the size of the problem or the circumstance and they're overwhelmed by it and they're seeking to convince others of it, let me tell you something. <clears throat> they, they are fixated on that rather than fixated on the one who can solve the problem. And we serve a God, I said we serve a God who welcomes us no matter what we're going through. And no matter when we come to him. He doesn't ask us to come when we got it all straightened out. He doesn't ask us to come uh, when we get things all sorted out and everything under control. God never asks us to come then. He says, come when you have a problem and you're carrying a burden, come then. And cast it before him. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for us. He's not asking you to take control of that. He's not asking you to fix that. He's not asking you to have a solution for everything. He just wants you to have that measure of trust in him that actually says to your enemy, you cease to amaze me by how difficult you can make my life. I believe that I serve a God who's bigger than this problem. No matter how big this problem is, my God is just a little bit bigger than that problem. And there's nothing you can make that's bigger than my God. And so you know what? That's where I'm going to stand. And when you begin to get to that place, you're on your way to victory. Jesus actually teaches us that. And if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you to turn to a couple of scriptures because uh, we're not, we don't have any on the board. Let's go to Matthew for a moment here. Matthew chapter 11. These are all common ones and I want you just to... Uh, uh, just move along with me here. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. And most of this chapter is words in red. And Jesus said in verse 27, all things are delivered unto me of my father. All things, all things have been given into my hand. From my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. So I'm in his hand, and the revelation I need of him is in his hand, right? Revelation comes from him, isn't that right? Revelation doesn't come from your pastor. Revelation comes from him. Everything that we need is in his hand. Every, every, uh, every, uh, uh, semblance of power, every, every resource is in the hands of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? That everything that you have need of today, anything that you could ask God for is already in his hand. And if you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you ought to feel a little bit better today because you don't need to go anywhere else. You just need to go to Christ and he's got it all. He's got, he's got the answer. So he tells us then, because of verse 27, he says in verse 28, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I have the power to give you rest 
in a time of trouble, and take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So prayer then becomes an exchange, doesn't it? It becomes an exchange. You bring your stuff and give it to me, and I'll take my stuff and give it to you. And my stuff is lighter than your stuff. And you can heap up all your stuff. And, and it's things that, uh, you, you, you know, we call it stuff. But there are the burdens that you carry in life. There are the, uh, the, the weights that you carry around your shoulders continually. And it seems like there's no answer for it. Or there's no uh, breakthrough. Or there's, no, uh, there's nothing positive about any of it there. And Jesus is not saying, look, I, I, I'm concerned that you have it. He's not concerned that we have it at all. He knows that we have that. He knows that we have trials in life. We are broken people living in a broken world. Right? Come on, folks. We're human beings that suffer all the same kinds of things that people in this world suffer. You suffer betrayal. You suffer loss. You suffer injustice. You suffer a breakdown of health over time. Hey, live long enough uh, and you live uh, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. You go through financial swings, like I talked about on Wednesday night. The pendulum will swing this way and it'll swing that way. doesn't always make sense. And sometimes you'd like it to stop. We want it to stop where we want it to stop. But the Holy Spirit knows best in our lives. And I will tell you that it'll swing one way and then it'll swing another way. I, you, uh, I, I, I did, a, I did a, a kind of a foolish thing last night. I, I, I did a search last night because of what somebody had, had tipped me off to. But I went and did a search uh, for my name. On Google. I actually Googled my name. And what I discovered kept me up half the night because I was, un, I was uh, unaware of how many people have taken, uh, how many times people have taken clips of services here at HBT in the last two or three years and have put them up there to criticize them and make uh, blogs about them and, and con- things that these are not people that believe the message, these are people that disbelieve it. And you can have a, a level of discouragement that you probably never knew existed when you look up your name. I'd advise you not to do it at home. Don't do this at home. And, and, and Jesus is not condemning us because we have a weight or a burden. He's not, he's not uh, fussing at us because you're carrying a yoke. He's just saying, I'm telling you what to do with the yoke you have. And all the resources that you have need of, all the answers and the the, the burden lifters are mine. God's already given it to me according to verse 27. So therefore, if you're smart, if you're spiritual, you'll come to the one who has the answers and is willing to exchange your load for his load. And his load is lighter. His load is better. His load is easier to carry. As when you take his load, there's a peace and a rest that goes with that as he describes in 28 and 29. Hey, it doesn't get any better than this. And prayer actually is an exchange. And I believe that when we know who we really are, when we have the assurance of who we really are as sons and daughters of God, we can pray with authority instead of praying as a servant. Praying with authority is is something that Satan despises. And I would encourage you, saints of God, that the only way you'll pray with authority is when you really know who you are. That I I have a connection with my Heavenly Father. And it's not based on my works at all. It is based on my birth and who I am. And so therefore, uh, the things of this life, they're not the things that hold me. They're not the things that impress me. The things I possess do not hold me. They do not impress me. They're just things that I have. 
And the problems that I have are not defining me. I'm defined as the son of God. That's who I am. That's what my origin is. And so therefore, I'll fear not. I will believe that God has an answer for whatever it is. And no matter how big the problem is that I have, my God is bigger than the problem that I have. Take your Bible. I'd like you to go to another passage, if you don't mind, in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. You all know this story. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 and verse 17, it begins with a very familiar story, the rich young ruler. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked, Good master, what shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? This young man had lots of possessions. He had lots of inherited wealth, it seemed like. And yet he had the nagging uh, question in his own heart about what would happen when he dies. When I come to the end of my road, even though I have all of these things in this life, what's going to happen to me because I know I don't have that assurance of eternal life. He must have known about it because he came to the right person and asked the right question, right? And got the right answer. So he, he knew enough to know that he didn't have eternal life, went to the right person and asked the right question about eternal life, and Jesus gave him the right answer. And then Jesus, of course, explains into this that he says, how hard, verse 24, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is giving a warning here about people that trust in riches, right? All right, that's nothing you don't know. But if you don't mind, let's go down. Let's go down to verse 27. And Jesus, looking upon them, he saith, With men it is impossible, because they were asking them, Well, Lord, who can be saved then, if this is true? And he said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. And then Peter, uh, began to, then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all, and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Now watch this, this is paradoxical here. He says, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the world to come eternal life. So Jesus just says to the rich young ruler, Woe unto them that trust in riches. But Jesus says to the disciples here, Hey, even though you've left everything to follow me, I'm going to give you a hundred times what you had. It kind of seems uh, paradoxical, doesn't it? You're not going to get in if you have a lot of stuff. And Jesus said, but for you people that have left everything, I'm going to give you a hundred times more, but I'm going to give it to you with persecution. And then he says in 31, but many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. So I'm adding a hundred times back into your life. But he wants them to understand the principle that it's not the stuff, the things that is added, that's a problem for a person. It's when they put their trust in that. That's where the problem is. If you've left everything to follow me, that's your first priority. I can add things into your life and they're not going to take away from the trust you've exhibited in me. But for this rich young ruler, his trust is in his riches. Do you understand? 
His, listen, his riches become, in a sense, a headwind to him. They're a thing that pushes, it's a thing that pushes him back. Are you following me? But for the disciples, for those that have given up everything in order to follow Christ, they're already making progress despite the uh, difficulties in life. And Jesus said, I can add things unto them and it's not going to deter them because their first love is to Christ. Do you understand how important a first love is? The first love has got to be Christ. And I can't, I can't make that happen in your life. I can't give you that. I can't impart that to you. I can just say that when you trust him, listen, when you trust him, all the stuff in the world doesn't matter. And a lack of all the stuff in the world also doesn't matter. Glory to God. Because our, our, our trust is put in the right place. So in other words, listen, the goal, the goal is not for you to produce results. We are not a results-oriented people. And God, this message was never given to us to, to create a results-based group of people or a works-based group of people. Are you following me? This, to me, this message was sent to do one thing, and that was to reveal Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever and prepare a people to cross over into the kingdom where we belong. And all the new birth, Brother Brandon tells us in Is Your Life Worthy of the Gospel and other things, the, the other messages, the, the, the new birth puts us in relationship to God. And so to me, the goal is to become a relational people, not a stuff people. We're not going to God and say, we got the biggest churches, we got the best missionary program, we got the best preachers, and we have the best technology, and we have the best uh, overarching reach of the whole world here. We're able to print anything or send missionaries where that's not what God's impressed with. God's impressed with you in relationship with him because he knows that if I can get their hearts turned to, to me, then all the other stuff that happens in life is secondary to that. That's primary. Are you following me? And you're going to give your cares to God when you trust him. You're going to present your petitions to God more, more readily when you trust him. You're going uh, to bend to his will when you trust him. When you realize he's got my back, he's got my, he's got my next step, he's, got, uh, he, he's my rear guard, he's my shield, he's my sword, he's my helmet, he's everything to me. And I know that he's not going to forsake me in battle. I know he's not going to forsake me in my family. I know he's not going to forsake me in uh, putting bread on the table. David even tells us, he said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. And David's prayer was always, Lord, don't make me too rich that I would uh, forget God or too, uh, too poor that I would steal from my neighbor. He says, but rather, Lord, just, you know, continue to walk with me through the uh, middle lane of life. Let me tell you, he watches over us. He cares about what we're going through. He knows the burdens that you carry. And when we trust in him, all the other circumstances of life become secondary because when we cease to be amazed with the size of the problems around us, let me tell you, you're on your way to victory. You're expressing the right kind of trust in God. And that's exactly what this message was, was, was given to us to accomplish in our lives. We are to be a relational people, not a works-based people. God is not impressed by our works. God is not giving you eternal life because of what you do. God's not, uh, you know, giving you uh, the blessing of eternal life because you showed up in the right church. Or you had visited Jeffersonville. Or you're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ here. That's not why God's impressed at all. 
God is rather impressed when you worship him by choice. And not because everyone else is. When you worship him by choice, when you worship, worship him just because you love him, that's what God loves. Are we okay? Let's talk a little bit for a moment about disappointment, loss, criticism, and betrayal. None of us, none of us invite headwinds into our lives. Because up to now, we would think headwinds are really obstructions. They're things that hold us back. But because we are living in a broken world, there are things that come at us, and sometimes there are things that we don't understand. And I will tell you what God is looking for in the disappointments that you have in life, first of all. Because all of us have them. We know what disappointments are. And God's designed for you to dream and to hope and to, and to have a, a, a joy because you serve Christ. And that's, that's obviously true. I'm going to ask you to go to John chapter 16 for a moment here. I think this is the last scripture I'm going to ask you to turn to. In John chapter 16. John chapter 16, and let's look at verse 23. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever, whosoever ye shall ask the Father, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name, but ask... And you shall receive that your joy may be full. Joy comes because of answered prayer. Right? Joy comes because of answered prayer. And these things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak to you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly in the Father. And he goes on, refers to the relationship in the future that the people of God will have. So we're designed to have... And be able to live in joy because of answered prayer. And we look for people who worship similarly and as a result of answered prayer and so forth. But we know that, that there are times when we ask for things and it seems like God is silent. It seems like the, the outcome doesn't make sense. It isn't in harmony with the way that we would think. In Proverbs chapter 13, 12, it says, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. But when desire cometh, it is a tree of life. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. So when, when we are ask, seeking God for something and it isn't there or it doesn't come to pass fully, then that, that Solomon says, it, it, we, we feel it at heart. And so therefore, what God is really trying to, to woo us into is, listen, a relationship whereby that when disappointments come, we still trust him and we still worship him in the midst of disappointment. How much better is it? It's, hey, listen, it's not hard for you to worship God and to appreciate God in times of blessing and in times of plenty. That's not hard to do at all. 
when you're sitting down in front of a full plate and a full table and all your family's there and everything is kosher and everybody loves one another, let me tell you, it's easy to thank God for what you have, isn't it? But when the plate is not so full and when the family might be at odds and when there's, when there's struggles or problems or differences that you face, let me tell you, sometimes it's a difficult thing for you to be as thankful to God. But he's trying to build in us a relationship. He's trying to woo us, draw us into the kind of relationship that even in the midst of disappointments, we can still thank him and appreciate him and love him just as much. So that whether it's the blessing or whether it's a disappointment, Our feeling toward God is not dependent on the circumstance. It's not dependent on where the pendulum is. We still worship him and love him in the midst of all of it. Does that make sense? That's not the way that human beings normally think. That's not the way that, uh, you know, we would normally go at a problem. But when it comes to disappointments, I will tell you that that's the kind of relationship that God's trying to have. So that Jesus, he could even say, you remember when uh, he looked around and all kinds of people left him because of what he was talking about. You know, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, you have no fellowship with me. And all kinds of people left him. And then he turned to the disciples and he said, are you going to go too? I will tell you that sometimes when people who you love, when you're in close to to people and they leave you, that often hurts the most, doesn't it? But but Jesus, Jesus having the relationship that he did, having the uh, the the peace that he did, being who he was, he was not afraid of any circumstance. He did not invite trouble, but he's not afraid of any circumstance. And I think he's trying to demonstrate to us and gently tap us on the shoulder. That no matter what you're going through and no matter what you face in life, it's still the best thing you can do is to praise him and to worship him and to express your love to him in the times of disappointment. Isn't it true that many times in disappointment we say, well, it didn't work out the way I planned it, so I'm going to do this. And very often we'll revert to our own plan. We'll, we'll jump to plan B when things don't work out like we think they should. Isn't that true? Come on, let's be honest. You know, I didn't, I, I didn't get, that, that, that relationship didn't work out and didn't get married to them. Well, I'm going to go find somebody I'm going to marry and find somebody and on the rebound, grab somebody, and it may not be the will of God at all. But there's a lot of times in disappointment we'll revert to our own plan or our own way of thinking. Let me tell you, God's got the upper hand in your life when in the middle of a disappointment you're still as in tune with him and worshiping him and in love with him when you're in the middle of the worst kind of valley that you could go through and you're still right there with him just the same as when you're on top of the mountain over here. Am I making sense to anybody today? That's the kind of relationship he's wooing us into. Because when you can go through that and come out on the other side, still loving him, let me tell you, you're on your road to reflecting Christ in the right way. Loss. All of us know what loss is. All of these things are obviously things that we all experience in life. They're headwinds that we all face. I was listening to a a very interesting story that someone told about the loss of their father. And uh, this was a minister, and he was just relating this story about how that his father had died. And he said, everyone in my family tree had lived a long time. They had long lives, like 80s and 90s. And this man died prematurely. Like, for him, very good health, and they had no, uh, no prior problems. It was all a shock to the family. And he said, 
when I was in, that, uh, in the room, he said all the family had gathered together before they were going to do this funeral. And he said, when I was sitting there, he said, I began to think about this. And he said, in that time of loss, he said, Satan comes very close to say things, well, he didn't heal your father. He could heal other people, but he didn't heal your father. And your father was a minister, and your father served God all of his life, and he didn't heal him. Now he's prematurely. All the rest of his siblings and his parents all live much longer, but he didn't heal your father. And he said, I took that loss and the pain of that loss, and he said, I just held it. I just held on to it for a moment. And he said, as I come close to the fire of God and the presence of God, because remember now, the, 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 the best comfort we can, we can obtain, the best resources we can draw from is the presence of God. The best transformation in your life takes place in the presence of God. That's why it's a good thing for you to come to church. It's, and, and I'm not just saying this because I like to have you here, which I do. But it is a better thing for you to be in the presence of God because transformation can take place more perfectly and more thoroughly in his presence than in your own house or in your own, uh, on your way to work and in your car. God can do all of that, and I'm not saying that he can't. But in the presence of God, there is something special. And when we all come together in the presence of God, like we felt this morning, Brother Jonathan mentioned it in his prayer. And, you know, it's just a special thing when God's people come together and God wants to do things and God wants to say things directly to you uh, when you come into his presence and give you uh, comfort and give you an answer and give you peace and give you uh, direction in life. I I mean, that's that's uh, that's, that's one of the reasons that we come. Another reason we come is because we love him. We love to worship him as a group, right? All through scripture, when the children of Israel traveled, how did they, how did they camp? How did they travel? It was around the presence of God or following the presence of God, one or the other. Right? When they, when they travel, they got, they got in line behind the leadership of God. When they camp, they all got around the presence of God. I think that's a good thing to do. I think that's a, still a good thing for us to do. But this, this minister said, I took those prayers and he said, sorry, sorry, he said, I took those criticisms and I took those thoughts that I was having. He said, which were really headwinds in my life. And he said, I held on to him like incense. And as I got closer to the presence of God, he said, it was like those, uh, those, those uh, problems, he said, went up in smoke. And he said, I said the opposite of what Satan was telling me. He said, I said, even though Satan was there saying, God didn't heal your father. He said, Lord, I know you're a healer. And I thank you for being a healer. And even though this did not come out, I suffered loss like I never have in my life. I still believe that you're a healer. Now listen to what Brother Branham said. Let me just give you a little quotation here. This is in a message called The Basis of Fellowship. And Brother Branham said, you're talking about the fire of God and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and talking about how the church should be set on fire with the gospel and so forth. Great, great statements that he makes here. And he says, He said, that's what it takes to make the church move. He said, they need to get under the blood. And he says, they're affected by the the fire of the gospel. And he said, the sacrifice was offered by fire in the Old Testament. And the blood on the fire, he said, made smoke and the sweet-smelling Savior that went up to the Savior Savior himself. He said, the sweet-smelling Savior was the prayers of the people on on the altar of blood that went up as they prayed under the shed blood. 
So the, the, the incense or the smoke that rose was a type of or represented the prayers of the people going up to God. Because when, when the sacrifice was consumed and the, uh, you know, the offering was made, the smoke went up to God. And, and that smoke was a symbol in the Old Testament of when believers get together and they pray and their prayers go up to God. Okay? And Brother Bram said that in the Old Testament, God set it up so that they had a certain kind of an altar and a certain kind of uh, priest who was dressed in a special way and they had a specific gift there that was on the altar and they touched it with the fire of God and the resulting smoke was these uh, representative of these prayers of all the people that were gathered around and went up to God in the presence of God and God heard them and answered those prayers. Now, Brother Branham reaches back and he takes that and he says, the sweet-smelling savor was the prayers of the people on the altar of blood that went up as he, as he prayed under the shed blood. And today, he says, and today, when the sacrifice has been burnt by the Holy Spirit, and when you take your own sacrifice by the blood of Jesus Christ and throw yourself on the altar covered by the blood, the Holy Ghost gets a hold of that And it sends a sweet-smelling savor to God that brings you into his glory. And that's the only place of fellowship. Glory to God. Could that actually be true? Could that actually be true? You understand what he's saying that when, when you have a, uh, when you have a prayer to God, the best thing you can do is just, just lay yourself as a, as a sacrifice, like Romans 12 talks about. Uh, you know, submitting your, presenting yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He, Brother Man says, throw yourself on the altar of God. Throw yourself at that place, in the right place. And he says, let the smoke of your prayers ascend up into God. And he said, that today, he said, releases the Holy Spirit to begin to work on your behalf. My goodness, what a, what, what a, what a better, there's nothing better that you could do in the midst of your world crumbling. Hey, pick up all the pieces and take them in your arms and just fall on the altar of God and let the prayers go up and watch what God does. And he's reacting to your trust in him. He's not reacting to what you bring to him because you're only bringing broken pieces, but you're, re- he's reacting to the trust that you have in him and the confidence that you have in him that he's gonna he's gonna deal with that he's gonna make it all work together for good to them that love God do you believe that and when in the times of loss and the times of disappointment and the times of hurt you can do that to God and say Lord it's all come down around me it's all fallen apart and I've lost this loved one he says in if you can do that in the midst of that disappointment and that loss and bring it to God he says you watch the Holy Spirit go to work for you Because that prayer ascends straight up to God. That's a better prayer. That's a better prayer. Then you remember the Pharisee who came to the front of the altar and said, I'm a Pharisee. And Lord, I bet you you're happy I'm in your church. Because I fast so many times weekly and I pay my tithes and I do this and I do something else. And Lord, I bet you you're awful happy that I show up at church every week. That kind of a prayer doesn't go too far. Remember Jesus said, but there was a man who came in the back of the church and he smote his breast and he said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. There's a right way and a wrong way to pray. Brother Bram says what you need to do is take your problem, 
Hold it together. Like that brother was saying this about his father who had died. And the devil is right there trying to whisper things that are not true into his ear. Right there at that particular moment. And he said, I just held on to that and fell into the fire of God's presence. And he said, when I did, he said, that just the smoke just ascends in the presence of God. And then he says, the Holy Spirit, it sends a sweet-smelling savor to God that brings you into his Shekinah glory. And that's the place of fellowship. Because let me tell you, in that place, there's peace. And in that place, there's rest. And in that place, there's hope. The third thing I just want to mention is criticism. And criticism is something that none of us want. Criticism, very often, we don't even have to, to do anything, and we can get criticized. The, I guess the more obvious you are, the more... Criticism takes place. And I will say this, that sometimes in criticism, even when it's not done right, sometimes there's bits of truth in it. And it would pay you to listen. Even though we don't want to hear that. There are times when the criticism actually may be true, even if a person doesn't say it right. There might be things about this criticism that you need to hear. And it would pay us to listen during times like that. Because if we don't listen to things that uh, are, are, are not correct in our lives, God will send it another way. And he'll keep sending it until we do get it right. Because God doesn't want you to go over there wrong. He wants you to go over there right. But when criticism causes harm, and it puts you into a downward spiral, and it cripples somebody, it's not right. It's not of God. I'm sorry, that's not of God. And you go back in Brother Branham's own life. We don't need to go any farther than back in his own life. <clears throat> when Brother Branham um, made mistakes. Like, for instance, you remember when he lied, when the tax person came to the door, or was on the phone that time, remember? And he said to his wife, tell him I'm outside, tell him I'm not here. Remember that? <clears throat> God does not rain a crippling blow down on Brother Branham. But he just stands back because what he did grieved the Holy Spirit. So now he stands back. And when Brother Branham cautiously goes about to carry out the ministry he's commissioned to do, God says, take your hands off. You remember when he was going to lay hands on that, on that person? And, and the Holy Spirit said, take your hands off that person. In other words, there's something you have to make right before we can... Uh, before we can enjoy the blessing again. There's something that you need to make right. But the great thing is, is that when he made it right, the Holy Spirit came right back in honor of his repentance. Now, when a person, when a person will cripple somebody through criticism, scathing criticism, criticism that doesn't build up, criticism that isn't helpful at all, and that person goes into a spiral, that's not of God. I don't care who it is. That's not of God. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't correct people that way. The Holy Spirit doesn't, doesn't uh, criticize in that way. Anytime that the Holy Spirit corrects us in our lives, it's to make us better than what we were. But he never, thank God, he never, praise the Lord, he never cuts off the fellowship. He seeks to improve it. He seeks to enrich the fellowship not to cut it off. 
So therefore, part of the act, part of the process of maturing, part of the process of continuing to go through what we go through despite criticism is because I'm actually living for another generation that I don't see. And let me explain that. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, it says that a good man leaveth an inheritance to his children and his children's children. Part of the part of a person, and I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to elicit sympathy from you today. That's not my, my purpose here. But I will tell you, in the role of a pastor, there are things that, things that you do and decisions that you make that are criticized. And everybody doesn't understand. And people will say, well, why don't you do it this way? And that church does it that way. And why don't we uh, do it like everybody else and so forth? And there are things, there are decisions that you have to make. And sometimes just knowing the, uh, the whole story, the inside story, makes you make decisions a little bit differently than uh, how maybe somebody else would do it. And usually because the circumstances and the people are different. And if, if we were the type of people who, who experienced the headwind of criticism and allowed it to blow us back or blow us off course, none of us would make it. Really, none of us would make it because we all know what it feels like to have criticism, especially from people who are close in, right? People on the Internet criticize me. You know, it's, it's kind of a so what thing. It's a shame and it's a curiosity to me, but, you know, it's so what. But if you got on there, if one of you got on there and did that, I'd want to know... I'd want to know why you're doing that. I'd I'd want to come to you and say, what is it it that we had? Why were you in my church 25 years, and now all of a sudden you're putting putting this on the Internet here? One of us is in deception, for sure. So, So therefore... If we were the type of the people that, that experienced the headwind of criticism and turned around back, none of us would actually make it to the finish line. But to me, Proverbs 13, 22, I always misinterpret, I've misinterpreted that verse for a long time because it says a good man leaveth an inheritance. I thought that I had to have houses and lands and money and possessions and, and guns to give to my offspring and to my children's children in years to come. Leave them lots of weapons. I mean, that's the... Best thing you could get in an inheritance, I guess, isn't it? For most rednecks, I mean, to have that. But, but it's not about stuff. Because you know what? The, the, all the stuff we might be able to pass on to another generation is stuff that's going to stay here when we all die. But integrity, legacy, character, good example, all of those things are what I can pass on to my children, and to my children's children. And so I'm actually, I'm actually in the process of maturing is, is to live for a generation that you won't see. So even if I, if I died before all my grandchildren or great-grandchildren came on the earth here, I, I would want my legacy just like David. Because, uh, you know, even Jesus himself is referred to as the son of David. Because there was something about David that so touched the heart of God that he was still calling his descendants the son of David, even after 10, 
20, 30 generations after David. They were still the son of David because there was something about David that so captured and impressed the heart of God that they were considered to be sons of David, even though they were not the sons. They were the great, 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 all the way out through their grandsons of David. But God still attached them to David here. Listen, folks. I mean, it, it's an odd thing. It, it's even like if you go to Switzerland, if you ever have an opportunity to go to Switzerland, Switzerland's a very materially, it's a very blessed country. It's a very blessed place. And I believe a lot of it is because 500 years ago when they had the Reformation there, there were decisions made. There were, there were things that were done in Switzerland that I believe God still honors. You may not know all the history, but that's where Calvin was from and Zwingli and different people like that. And they stood for God in the days of the Reformation when everybody around them was losing their heads. Prior to that, everybody lost their head when they, uh, when they stood up against the Catholic Church. But there was a season of the Reformation came and there were decisions made and there were things started back then in, in Switzerland and neighboring areas there. And, and they, they achieved a blessing. They obtained a blessing that, that I believe still even tra- is trailing out. But it it still exists even today. And I believe that's what it means when it says in Proverbs 13 that a good man leaveth an inheritance for his children's children. So in other words, the best thing to do is take the criticism like we take the loss and we give it back to God and say, Lord, whatever it is I need to learn from this, help me learn. But I'm not going to let this define me. My My family, my real family, my connection to God is what defines me as a Christian. Not everybody's comments about me. The last thing I'd talk about, just very briefly, and these are all really short, they're all worthy of sermons in themselves. But the last thing I'd say is about betrayal. Now, betrayal only happens in a painful way when you let somebody get real close. Like, for instance, Joseph. You remember when Joseph and his brothers were living in, in uh, Egypt, or in, in, uh, uh, in the book of Genesis there, and, and how that Joseph's brothers betrayed him, and they, they sold him to a bunch of traitors, right? It hurt all the more because these were Joseph's brothers. And he didn't understand, what, what have I done that they would betray me? And they would, they would sell me like this. And what what? It, was a, it took a long time for Joseph to kind of figure out why this betrayal actually happened. It took a long time for him to, to realize why this is actually occurring. But it hurts all the more when it's close. But the amazing scripture, and we'll read it tonight in John chapter 13, says that on the night he was betrayed, he took a towel. In the midst of the betrayal that was about to happen. And Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. Isn't that right? On the night he was betrayed. He took bread. And he took a towel. And he girded himself. And he washed the disciples feet. In the the season of betrayal, he's still willing to serve. Wow. In the middle... In the middle of the, some of the hardest things. Because he's got all kinds of people who follow him. All kinds of people who are curious about him. And all kinds of people that are looking for miracles. And more miracles. And the more miracles they had, the more they're looking for. And there's all kinds of people around. But there's 12 that are in close. 
There's 12, only 12, that were handpicked. And they're right in close to Jesus. They're that inner circle. They're that, that group that when he went to a town, they went to a town. When, when he, when he uh, needed something, they were right there to get it. And, and they, they received special instruction. They received special information about things. And they, uh, they had special blessings, I believe. They were commissioned to go and cast out devils and to go into uh, towns and villages around. They had uh, powers that were given to them that were not given to the crowds who came just seeking miracles. And so these are people that knew Jesus. These are people that slept with him and ate with him and traveled with him. And, and uh, you know, they, they, they kind of would have had their uh, numbers on speed dial if you like. They were the people who were right up close. And one of them actually turns Jesus over for 30 pieces of silver and he's betrayed. Yet, yet, on the night he was betrayed, he takes a towel and girds himself and kneels in front of them all and washes their feet. And Judas is right there. He's right there. I thought, I was thinking about that word betrayal. I was thinking about how then should we act Because betrayal is never easy. Brother Branham says, I imagine on the day when all time stands still and melts into eternity, I imagine Elvis Presley will be all shook up on that morning. Pardon the pun, it's his words. He'll be all shook up that morning, sure enough. Yes, Listen to what he says. His record will be a reality when he hears the bleating of the millions of souls that he sent to hell. The 30 pieces of Judas' betrayal, the 30 pieces of Judas's betrayal, silver beaten into coins, will be a pleasure compared to Elvis Presley's doomed time that morning. For Judas did it because it was to fulfill a scripture to redeem man. But Elvis Presley perverted the right thing when he was a Christian and sold his birthrights to put a million souls in hell. Wow. You had to wonder why Brother Branham felt like he did about Elvis Presley and why he said the stark things he said about Elvis Presley, which he did not say about Marilyn Monroe. You kind of had to wonder. I mean, that is a bit of a puzzle when you study the message and you think about it. But I will tell you this. It's not a quote. But I will tell you that a brother told me that in conversation with Brother Branham, and this is for what it's worth, you can pause the tape if you want to. But Brother Branham told this brother, he said, when he saw the serpent in the Garden of Eden, he looked like Elvis. That's what he said. He said he had his hair slicked back and looked very much like Elvis Presley in the Garden of Eden. And Brother Branham's, his comments like this about Elvis and the effect of his betrayal, the effect of having grown up in a Pentecostal church and seen people jerk and shout and, and dance in the spirit and then take that and sell that out and turn it into rock and roll and make himself the millions that he did and the name that he did. He said, imagine in the day when, the, when time stands still and he has to hear the sounds of all those people in hell. I mean, he says this about nobody else. He says this about no one else at all. And that was a betrayal. And in the midst of Jesus' betrayal, in talking about Judas Iscariot, 
here he is taking a towel and says, I'm going to do it anyway. And he washes everyone's feet. Everyone's. Wow. Let's have our musicians just slip up, if you don't mind. Disappointment, loss, criticism, betrayal. Let me just remind you, these are a couple of specific headwinds that we face. When a person, as a Christian, we have a choice whenever these things come our way. Whenever they hit you in the face, like a headwind hits you in the face, you're standing on the bow of the ship and you're trying to get somewhere and the headwinds come strong against you, you have a choice then about how you're going to react. You can turn around and let the wind take you. You can quit and walk away. But a Christian uses those to tack into the wind, going left and right and left and right. Lord, you put resources in my hand. We've got promises. We've got scripture verses. We have got, uh, we have got examples that God has given to us. We've had testimonies of people that have uh, been, been healed. We have stories. We have things that God has given to us in the end time because we are bride. And what we need to do is use the resources that God's given to us and tack into that and use all of that to jettison us forward instead of backward. And the very best way that we can handle all of these four things that I've talked about are to grab a hold of those things that are coming against you and just give them to God, lay them at the altar. And if you've got to hold on to them and fall on the altar, the smoke of your burning actually, he says, rises into the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, you watch what he does for you. He goes to work on your behalf. Don't, don't feel bad because you have headwinds. Don't feel bad because people criticize you or betray you or uh, you know you experience loss in life. All of us do. All of us do. Brother Branham knew what it was like to experience loss. Every one of us know what it's like to experience loss and betrayal. And disappointments about things. How the, we hoped and we, we, we looked at a certain thing would come out a certain way and it didn't. Those disappointments are real for every one of us. The best thing we can do is rather than let them turn us, we turn into that, giving it to God and saying, Lord, this came my way. I'm giving it back to you because I trust you. And my trust in you is greater than this circumstance. And the moment you begin to let that get bigger and this get smaller, you're on your way to victory. I said, the moment that you let that get bigger, your trust in God get bigger and this problem gets smaller, you're on your way to overcoming. And that's a simple truth of what God's trying to teach us. So therefore, when we come to the communion table, it's good for us to forgive and to let go. And to let go. And to let go. And I'm not going to let this, I'm not going to let this be an anchor and cause me to drag. I'm not going to let this turn me around and go back the other way. I'm rather going to keep the anchor up and I'm going to use this. Lord, somehow help me to use this to get closer to you. And just keep your eyes on that same goal. I'm going to go this way and I'm going to go that way. I'm going to go this way and that way and this way and that way. If you understand sailing, but you know what? My eyes are still on the destination that I've set out for in the first place. My, I look around the room and I look at some of your experiences and how you got here today, how you got to where you are today. For most families, it's not been an easy, an easy journey. 
for most of you, it's making a sacrifice, making a decision, and having to stick with that decision. See, Brother Wellington was shaking his head back there, and you make a decision. I'm going to lead my country, Sister Florence. I'm going to, I'm going to step out. I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I, my trust in you is bigger than my fear of making that step. I think heaven's going to be filled with people that know what it's like to make that step of faith. I remember when God laid on my heart to come and pastor a church in Ohio, 1984. God confirmed it with the gospel and confirmed it in our hearts very clearly. I still have the Bible on the inside of the flyleaf when that minister got up and answered every question. He never knew anything about it, but he answered every question we had in our hearts. And I wrote down the flyleaf of my Bible and I said to my wife, I said, this is for us. Listen, this is for us. And I still have the Bible where I wrote that in the flyleaf. This is for us. This sermon. And he answered every question that we ever had. And you know what? When we drove out of there that day, I knew, I knew I'd never go back and live in Canada again. I knew I'd never go back and reside in Canada again. I knew. And you have no fear. Unless God changes his mind, which he doesn't change his mind. But you have no fear that I'd go back and live in Canada. Because he... He told me this is what he wanted me to do in my life. All my family still like Every one of the family tree is all still there. It's not a great big tree. They're all back there, and I'm the only one who's not there. But I'd never go back because he told me to go. And when I left, my trust in him was greater than the, what I had to go through in order to leave. And what we had to endure when we left. And you might be going through something. Today, I don't know. You might be going through something. But I will tell you this. Let the Holy Spirit, through it all, through the headwind you feel, let the Holy Spirit develop a greater trust in you than the headwind that's coming against you. Use that headwind. Let that headwind be used in your life to create a greater trust in God. I feel the pressure. I feel this. But you know what, Lord? I'm going to trust in you. And you feel that. You feel that pressure. Hey, Lord, I'm your child. Let him do it. In control, he's got it all. Puts that reassurance deep down in my soul. He's got it all in control. Lower down a bit. He's got it all in control. Yes, he does. He's got it all in control. He puts that reassurance deep down in my soul. He's got it all in control. 
sing it again now. He's got it all in control. Yes, he's got it all in control. And he put that reassurance deep down in my soul. Yes, he's got it all in control. Heavenly Father, as we bow our hearts in your presence today, we thank you, Lord, that we have we have tools we can use against every headwind that comes against us. And in reality, Lord, to, to a pilgrim, someone who's on a journey in a sailboat, Headwinds are his best friend. Headwinds are actually going to get him there faster than anything else. The Lord help us, I pray. Help us in the times of disappointment, in the times of letdown, the times of loss, and even the times of betrayal. Lord, may whatever happens to us, may those circumstances, Lord, may they simply be used to allow us to reflect the character of Christ nature of Jesus himself. Have your way, Lord, we pray. And Father, as we head into our service tonight, the communion service, Lord, may you just deal with our hearts and the things that we need to make right. We, sh- we, we, we want to make them right quickly, Lord, and, and do those things that allow us to be able to come in, in your presence, Lord, with a pure heart. So create that in us, Lord. Create a clean heart within us. And Lord, I just pray that you would just deal with every soul today. Father, there are people that are hurting, people that are maybe experiencing disappointments, Lord, and and we all know what that feels like. We can all relate. So we're asking, Lord Jesus, that you would just draw near to each and every heart, each and every soul. In Jesus' name we pray today. Amen. And amen. Create in me a clean heart. Let's sing that. And I'm going to turn it over to Ben. We're going to... begin the process of baptism here so for those who would want to be baptized today um, sister hannah james is going to be baptized in the name of the lord jesus and titus clayville is going to be baptized today and if there's anybody else today that would have that on their heart there's enough water for uh for more than just those two so if they want to prepare uh and i'll prepare as well we'll turn it over to brother ben uh, this morning Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me.
speaking there was just a song that kept uh, coming to my mind there something keeps holding me amen it doesn't matter what's happening around you or even to you something that's beyond our will ourselves amen is holding us and sometimes you know I you know brother Barry was talking about moving and changing and a lot of us that go to this church have all moved from a lot of different places my wife and I Move from a different country as well. Lots of people move from other states that come here. And when you make those decisions, something keeps holding you. Amen? There's, you know, I even thought back to my own family. When uh, when I was a young man being raised in the message, there was probably about 15, 20, uh, my extended family, who were all in the message raised and today I'm the only one that's claiming that out of all those family members and I wonder so many times I look back that I shouldn't be here but something keeps holding me amen and I'm so thankful for that no matter what the headwinds are that hit us right you look back you see friends you see family that have decided not to follow this anymore and you wonder sometimes what's holding me amen it's him that's holding us amen trial of this world was getting closer well the fall I felt was more than I could bear amen oh and I was on the verge of giving over wasn't there Oh, something keeps holding me Well, every day I see He's helping me faithfully To overcome my trials Well, guiding me constantly Yeah. 
strength I need to keep me in His grace. Oh, something keeps holding me every day I see He's helping me. that first verse again. The trial of this world was getting closer. Well, the pull I felt was more than I could bear. And I was on the verge of giving over yes the strength within myself just wasn't there oh something keeps holding me well every day I see he's helping me My trials will guiding me constantly. Yes, giving me victory. For He's a reality. And something keeps holding me. We are honored today to be able to acknowledge uh, Titus's desire to walk in obedience to the commandment given to us in the New Testament. And this is how New Testament uh, saints surrender their hearts to Christ. And Titus has uh, expressed a desire, a lot of it from what uh, conversation's been at home. And we're so thankful for that. And God's dealt with his heart and he was, he was excited to come to this place today. So Titus, Based on your desire to walk in obedience to the Word of God, we baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sister Hannah is coming, Hannah James, coming to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And... uh, we're excited to be able to uh, encourage her in this step in her journey and just trusting that the Lord now will take her and use her, come on right up here, and use her in his future for her. And we're thankful for that because this is an exciting beginning for any child of God. And we know that eternal life doesn't start here. Uh, a person realizes they are a child of God, a daughter of God during a time like this, but this does not give anybody eternal life. Neither does this wash away any sins. It's the blood of Christ that washes, washes away our sins. 
And so this is a symbol of the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. So, Sister Hannah, we want you just to pinch your skirt between your knees there. There you go. Good. And I'll take this hand. You cover your nose with the other one. <clears throat> Sister Hannah, based on your desire to walk in newness of life and to walk in obedience to the Scripture, I baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is good all the time. He puts a song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good all the time through the darkest night. His light will shine. God is good. My God is good all the time. shadows all around will do not fear he will guide you he will keep you safe and sound and he will promise to never leave you nor forsake you and his word is good God is good all the time he puts a song of praise in this heart of mine God is good all the time through the darkest night his light will shine God is good amen my God is good all the We were sinners, so unworthy, yet for us he chose to die. Filled us with his Holy Spirit, so we could stand and testify. That his love is everlasting. good all the time isn't he amen Amen. that's wonderful to see the uh, baptisms uh, just a quick reminder check the lost and found that's it brother John let's bow our heads Heavenly Father Lord we thank you for this day Lord we thank you for the young souls Lord that just gave their lives to you Lord we just pray you'll bless them Lord we just thank you for all that you do for us 
thank you for the opportunity to come and just praise you today, Lord. Lord, we love you. We want to just give you all the glory. As we dismiss, Lord, we just want you to just be with every one of us. Keep your hand upon us. Keep us safe, Lord, and bless our evening service. Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just a reminder about the communion service tonight, and then you're dismissed. We're going to sing it uh, as we go. God is good. God is good all the time. He puts a song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good. Will all the time.